why am I still in prison? Just ask him outright, why am I still illegally incarcerated in contempt of court orders 2019 for HMPPS to work supportively with Mr. Russell and his family and friends' robust release plans? And for the benefit of those that are with you that can hear this on loudspeaker, do what you can as quickly as possible, please. I've got better things to be doing with my life. End of message. Poodle pip. So I've become my brother's caseworker, to almost to a point, but with no power or authority to do anything other than keep trying to push the buttons with HMPPS and say, come on, speak to me. Stop ignoring me. This is Roddy Russell. He's on the phone to his brother, Robert, who's speaking from inside Swellside Prison. 14 years ago, Robert was sentenced to an IPP, which stands for Imprisonment for Public Protection. He has never been released. Roddy has become his brother's caseworker over those years, but that's not all. He's Robert's supportive ear during his many daily phone calls from prison, a social worker, counsellor, carer, advocate and lifeline. With Robert's parole on the horizon again for at least the fifth occasion, Roddy is doing all he can to ensure that this time release will be granted and that his brother can return home to the place where they both grew up the Forest of Dean, a place that Roddy left as soon as he was old enough to pursue his dream of a career in the RAF. We're sat outside the cottage at Viney Hill. It's a pretty grim day and this is the location where the nightmare for Rob's IPP sentence started. Today, Roddy has travelled in his camper van to the small village of Viney Hill. Sandwiched between the River Severn and South Wales, This is a place where everyone knows everyone and where Roddy and Robert's IPP story began. This is Trapped, Episode 4. I'm Sam Asamadu and today we're hearing Roddy and Robert's story. His his conviction was for threat to kill. Rob pleaded guilty to accept responsibility for for his um, bad actions or his wrongful actions and had a sent an IPP sentence handed down to him of three years that was reduced on appeal to two years, 177 days. And he's been in prison ever since. I would like you to arrange a social forward slash legal visit with me at your earliest and most urgent possible convenience. If I may press you, we really need to talk. Robert was given a tariff of two and a half years in 2009. His index offence was a threat to kill. Despite having no former offences, the judge deemed his crime met the threshold to be given an IPP. Uh, I didn't have a clue what an IPP sentence was. I only started to look into it after his tariff had expired. When those two years, 177 days had passed, it became apparent that something wasn't right with this sentence. Now, I'm not saying that Robert shouldn't have had any punishment. In fact, I believe for the act of wrongdoing that he did do, that there should be repercussions and some form of punishment for it. And I do believe that a custodial sentence in prison would have served justice. What I'm saying is that it should not have been an IPP sentence, where he has now done nearly 14 years when the maximum determinate sentence that you that the judges can hand down for a threat to kill which is what he was convicted for is 10 years 
and Rob's now done on an IPP, not, not, not ever been released, nearly 14 years. Where's the justice in that, I ask everybody? Some of those people were given minimum terms of less than a year. And some of them were given, you know, even if it wasn't less than a year, some of them between a year and two years. And they've served a decade longer than that. This is Andrew Sperling. He's a solicitor advocate doing prison and parole work for over 20 years. Almost everybody that I've ever acted for doesn't want to harm anybody in the future. I know that might sound like a sort of wet liberal thing to say, but it isn't. It really is based on experience. Most people regret what they've done. The absolute huge majority of people who are released by the parole board don't commit a serious offence in the future. Like, huge proportion. There is a suggestion in the Victims and Prisoners Bill, which is going through Parliament at the moment, that there is a deficiency with the parole board's decisions. In your opinion, is there any deficiency in how they deal with IPPs? IPPs have exactly the same release test as anybody else who's serving a life sentence, or in fact, actually anybody else who's recalled who's serving a determinate sentence. So, you know, do they need to be confined for the protection of the public? Uh, And that that means protection of the public from serious harm. So um, in terms of a deficiency, in the way that they tend to apply the legal test that, that Parliament has asked them to apply, No, there isn't a deficiency. Where it becomes really problematic is that they're not entitled to look at and treat IPPs any differently from anybody else. The parole board aren't entitled to treat those serving IPP sentences any differently from prisoners serving determinate sentences. However, IPP prisoners are different. The indeterminate aspect of their sentence means that those serving IPPs face unique stresses and the anxiety of not knowing when they're going to be released, if ever. This can cause their mental health to spiral with any reaction or outburst at the high-pressured and volatile environment they find themselves in counting against them when parole comes round. It's why the Justice Committee's report in October 2022 said the sentence was causing acute harm. I think anybody with a sense of decency about them is that there are lots of IPP prisoners who, if they weren't suffering with significant mental illness at the time they were sentenced, a lot of them certainly are now, in a way that's irrelevant to the parole board's decision-making process. So all they'll do is say, well, is this person risky? If If we were to release them now, do they pose a risk? They can't be interested, if you like, in whether or not the, the the cause of that risk is their mental illness. It just needs to be, are they risky to the public? Mental health does not equate to danger. And um, People with identified mental health issues are at far more risk to themselves than to others. And it's, it's a dangerous myth. IPP-serving prisoners have been uniquely traumatised by the indefinite nature of the sentence. I spoke to Graham Towell, Professor of Forensic Psychology at Durham University and former Chief Psychologist at the Ministry of Justice. One of the reasons it's a dangerous myth is it may discourage people from coming forward and talking about their problems. And it seems to me that if we're trying to help people and indeed reduce risk, then we should be doing everything we can to encourage people to come forward and talk about how they're actually feeling. The danger of sanctioning people for that is they'll mask symptoms. And that, you know, that then becomes very problematic indeed. You know, that's not to say that there aren't specific circumstances with specific mental health issues where there may be an increased level of risk. That can be true too. But in general terms, 
it's not the case in general terms if someone has mental health problems particularly in a prison environment where you know it's an abnormal environment you'd expect some level of abnormal behaviors to adapt to it functionally you know it, it, you know we can't expect people to behave the same in society as they would be in a prison it's such a different environment an abnormal environment it's much easier in you know broader society in some ways to walk away from trouble or, or 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 difficulty if someone i don't know becomes abusive to you or whatever or you don't like someone well, if you don't like someone you can avoid them outside a prison it's much harder to maybe avoid someone in a prison so just everyday things are just that much more difficult and, and amplified but the fundamentals are to equate mental health problems with an inflated level of risk is just plain wrong so what if anything can be done if we give indeterminacy we give uncertainty if we want to improve someone's mental health we give them agency that's one way of improving it what we do here is we take away that agency and we actively do so and i think that takes away hope i will see justice restored in my individual case and i will honor my mother and my father so how will you see the justice restored then i i, I, don't, I this is the bit i don't get because you're making rocket science out of it, you have to wait, along with everybody else. So let's... It's not much longer to wait now. The ultimate time that I could have possibly served, in accordance with the entire scam, is about to expire. I get it. I understand it. I'm treating him like um, like he's a, he's a baby kid brother, and I'm holding him in hands wrapped in cotton wool, if you like. And I'm, um, I'm not frightened, but I'm, I'm very conscious that by challenging Rob, that that would make things too, too difficult for him. So I, I, I just need to let his mind do what his mind wants to do. But if that helps him, that he's got someone to sound off at, then um, I suppose that can't be a bad thing for Rob. Robert was diagnosed by an independent clinical psychologist with PTSD due to childhood trauma before he was sentenced. But Roddy tells me that Robert hasn't ever received treatment for this and the sentence has only made it worse. It's, it's real rule cut stuff. Well, That's what, you know, it's what, it is what, it is, what needs it? to be heard. It needs yeah. to be heard. I've just arrived at Aurora Engineering to meet Mr Bryn Williams, the owner of the company that used to employ Rob here as a welder and fabricator. We've got a small engineering company, 14 of us working here, and Robert used to be a, an important part of the business, um, and then we all know what went wrong. But uh, I always got on well with Rob, yeah. consequently, that's why I'm trying to help him now, you know. As an employee, he was very capable, very capable, I might add. You know, he could weld, he could spray, would climb up stuff, crawl in stuff, go under stuff. Nothing phased him in that respect, you know? And as far as I'm concerned, that's the reason I do anything I can to help you achieve your your aims, because I think he deserves that, you know? A lot of people in life, I wouldn't, I wouldn't help in any what way, but this guy, I think, deserves the help we're trying to give him, you know? Yeah. I would have Robert back to work with us, and if that meant supplying him with accommodation, the job is here. It's here today as it was then, you know? Yeah, thank you. I, I've asked for your uh, your details to be put on his parole dossier so that the parole board can see that you are offering him yeah. employment and housing. Yeah, um, definitely. There's no questions there whatsoever. Yeah. No questions whatsoever. Thank you. Thank you, Bryn. This is an important moment for Roddy. He hopes that Bryn's offer of employment and accommodation will help prove to the parole board that there is a ready-made support network there for Robert upon release. 
He'll have employment and a home, two important factors for the parole board to consider. You know, all I can say is thanks, thanks for being yeah, there yeah. and offering that support. Hey, don't worry, offering... it's, we're here, it's, we're going nowhere, we're always here. Bryn Williams, as long, for long term, is offering you employment upon your release, no matter when you're released. And that's important for, well, for everyone. And the fact that you will be so financially sound as well. So two really important things about... Um, Roddy surrounds himself with other family members and friends who are always there for each other to offer guidance or a supportive ear when needed. None more so than campaigner Hank Rossi. Roddy and I started to have a couple of phone calls and it led to us meeting up in the Forest of Dean actually for the first time near where he grew up and uh, taking a walk and talking his story through and hearing about Robert's situation. Hank created the Institute of Now, which is aimed at creating a knowledge base to aid people in successful change, especially in relation to criminal justice policy. He knows Roddy and Robert's story well. So Robert's been through a series of stages in this sentence where I think in the first instance he saw the opportunity to recover from probably substance and alcohol abuse and that maybe the first few years of his sentence in his first sort of stay in prison he thought that might be a positive outcome for him. But once his tariff had expired he started to deteriorate according to Roddy and this led to a number of instances and altercations with prison staff and then his mental health really took a turn down for the worst. At some point he was released from the prison to a psychiatric hospital called Wooten Lawn. There I think he began to recover again. This is an interesting sort of part of what is, becomes a cyclical pattern for IPPs, for many of them, is that if they do get some sort of support in a, either within prison in a hospital style or medical wing or a sort of treatment programme for mental health, they recover to some extent, and then they're what they call in prison system remitted back to prison, all of the problems start again and it becomes a cycle of improvement and then deterioration. And if any of these things turn up on a parole board hearing, as they inevitably do, then they count against you and they become the reason that you are not going to progress. You, should, you shouldn't be in their name. And I do feel strongly about that because I know him and he's a lovely guy. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here. I've known him for a long time. He's just a lovely, he's a lovely chap. He doesn't deserve it. With the parole clock ticking, Roddy has come to meet with some of Robert's friends in the local pub. Hiya. Hiya. Robert was and remains a talented musician. He could often be found hammering away at a set of drums in the corner of this pub, receiving payment for the night's entertainment in pizza and beer. Life has continued on for Rob's support network here, whilst he has been in limbo for the past 14 years. My name's uh, Andy, Andy Maps, and um, I used to play in the band uh, with, alongside Rob as the drummer. I've known him for many, many years. We used to live um, very, very close to each other. What do you think about the, the, the way Rob's been treated by the prison service? He knows he's done wrong and he's, he's already served his time. Why he's still in the name is just beyond me. It's just ridiculous. I, I don't know. He's, he's not a danger to anybody. He really isn't. He's just not that type of person. He's such a lovely bloke, a, a caring, friendly bloke, um, who did something wrong. He's paid the price already, and he's, he's paid over the price. We're, we're in the new inn at Viney Hill, and there's uh, Daniel Nelms here, who's a stepson and good friend of Rob's, and a lifetime friend of Rob's, Nick. I'm Nick Ballard. Um... And I've grew up with Rob since we were BMX bandits and out in the woods. 
Yeah, uh, just doing normal kid stuff. So then obviously Rob got into a bit of bother. Um, what do you think about his circumstances now and where he is now? It's been pretty detrimental, I think, the, the sentence that he's been given, because obviously if you've got no chance of parole, it doesn't put you in a very good headspace, does it? Oh. I've seen a massive decline in him, especially as I've been speaking to him recently, and it, it's, it's been quite detrimental to him, really. When I speak to him, all I can see is that it's actually getting to him now because he doesn't see any end in, in it. Would you say it's caused him psychological damage? Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, he's not the individual I know when I speak to him. It's almost ramblings of a madman, I'm afraid, sometimes, because he's just... Uh, his mind's gone, isn't it? So, yeah, he, yeah, he's... Um, it's affected his mental health, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm arguing that that's a direct result of the sentence that he's been yeah, put on. Yeah, I would on. say that too. He's been in jail for 14 years now, and he isn't the person I know. You know, we, we can talk about all our memories that we have, but for the last 14 years, 15 years, we haven't done anything to... I've got a whole family. Yeah. I've been married, divorced. I've got three kids. And Rob's uh, never seen And Rob doesn't know any... Well, he knows about it, because I've obviously told him, and things like that, but it's, he's missed a massive part of life. What I don't understand is how anyone could justify being able to sentence someone for 14 years for a threat. My right in thinking, that was his like first offence. He's not yeah, really he's ever been in trouble with the police. That's right. Yeah, that was his first, he first ever offence. He didn't quite fight in or anything like that. No, he wasn't he a criminal, was he? No, he wasn't an aggressive no. man. Yeah. I made a threat and then gone to prison for 14 years for it and still not out now and still not knowing when we're going to see our mate again, you know? Really interesting to hear those guys speak about Rob and how they knew Rob um, and, and hear their perspective on, on Rob and hear them speaking as to what a good person Rob is, was. Uh, as you can hear from anybody and everybody that, that, that you speak to about this IPP sentence, they can't believe that, that it is what it is. And it needs to change, it has to change. First of all, um, to reiterate, what's been done to me has to be put right, and it will be put right. If you really care about this, you need to be looking at outcomes. This is Andrew Sperling again. Is this person going round and round and round every single parole review with the same stuff being said over and over again? The answer to that in a lot of cases is yes. The problem in some way, in some ways though, is that one of the things that happen is it is not just the recommendations and the comments that are the same. It sometimes is that someone between parole cycles has done something pretty bad in prison. And that's really, obviously, really problematic because you've got very, very angry people, sometimes very, very ill people, doing something awful to another prisoner or sometimes to a prison officer. That's why this situation is, is just tortuous and awful for everybody involved. So I had a telephone call from Rob around about half past seven this morning informing me that he'd been assaulted by a prisoner 
I've got to a point now where I start to become desensitized to the uh, to these types of assault and it's just expected it's just a case of when when is it going to happen and then when it does happen I just go through the process of reporting the assault to the police and that's that's how it is it just takes takes over me life although calls like this have become expected and almost run of the mill for Roddy they become moments of real jeopardy for Robert and his hopes of a successful parole hearing. Any incidents or allegations of bad behaviour are subject to an adjudication process in prison, a tribunal hearing where both prison staff and the prisoner give evidence and a verdict is reached. Adjudications can really count against you when it comes to parole or can slow the process down at the very least. Any infringement, a wrong word with a prison officer, you know, on their history, and they're not getting out. It's as simple as that. Here's Sam Samworth, an ex-prison officer turned best-selling author and podcaster, to explain more. The sentence was about risk. It was a parole sentence. A parole board will meet along with the prisoner. They'll look at their prison history. They will look at maybe coursework they've done. And lads and lasses who were given this sentence, who were maybe looking at two, three, four, five years you know, are in over a decade later with no chance of getting out. The first beating he got from a prisoner was he was cleaning up blood off the threshold of his doorstep and this particular prisoner took a, a run up to him and kicked him in the head as though he was taking a penalty kick. Uh, he, he said all he could see was stars and he went after the guy but the guy had run off and he couldn't, couldn't get after him which was a blessing, I suppose. These type of prisoners, like Rob, the longer in the system, because their hopelessness, despair, they become problematic. They become problematic because they complain. Everyone knows them, and staff will take it personally. I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, in my job, I work with lots of amazing people, really good people, good prison officers, but there is a small percentage who were not nice and will take advantage of a situation people can stop these people progressing they can stop your brother moving to a prison that he needs to go to in order to give himself a better chance to get out i honestly you know as a person who's worked in that in that system can't think about it too much because it gets me down i'm not just saying that either it does just it's despair right i'm just at my desk so i can chat thomas has just been on the phone he can't even talk properly They've, 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 they've kicked the shit out of him again. Oh, no. In our first episode, we met Clara and her brother Thomas, who has been serving an IPP sentence since 2012. He's got a massive lump on the side of his head. He's in the block. He's, he couldn't speak for long. Mm. Um, he said he smacked my head against, against the wall. He said, I've got a massive lump on mm. my head. I've got cuts and bruises. Hank recently got a call from Clara where she told him that Thomas is currently in segregation from where, he's told Clara, he was assaulted by a prison officer causing injuries which were not seen to by the healthcare team for four days. Is that happened yesterday or something? It's happened on uh, Tuesday. He's been in the block since Tuesday. Right. He's in quite a bad way. Um, he said they didn't get the nurse to metal uh, yesterday. We contacted Garth Prison and the Ministry of Justice about these allegations. A prison service spokesperson said, These claims of mistreatment are categorically untrue and prisoners placed in segregation are seen at least three times a day by healthcare staff. It's Thomas's word against the prison authorities at the end of the day. We will continue to follow his story closely.
The perspective of the authorities is that all of these prisoners are dangerous and can only be released if they pass some sort of assessment where they're no longer dangerous. But my position is that these people aren't really dangerous. What they're doing is exhibiting the behaviours of human beings who've been exposed to an extremely torturous process of indefinite detention, mm -hmm. which induces desperation and results in commonly serious declining mental health. There are all sorts of questions about why the parole board hasn't acted more aggressively, as it were, in trying to sort this out. And that's part, there's a number of reasons for that. This is Richard Garside, the director at the Centre for Crime and Justice Studies. Hank and I went to visit Richard at their offices in London to learn more about the barriers that those serving an IPP sentence come up against when approaching release. Prisons themselves have been so appalling at actually ensuring that prisoners are in a position to demonstrate to the parole board they're safe for release. And so everyone gets caught in this catch-22 where, you know, the problems just get produced and reproduced over time with no obvious way out. It's a very cruel sentence because on the one hand it kind of it gives the impression we're here to help. We're here to help you get out of this situation. We know that actually that we're here to help is a lie, you know, and it's a lie both in the sense of, you know, when the sentence first came in, the prisoners, they may get, let's say, a two or three year tariff, a four year tariff, and, and so in their own mind, because it was a new sentence, people didn't know much about it, oh, well, I'm here for three or four years, and then I'll be out. But the prison was treating them like life sentence prisoners. But because they were on a short tariff, they weren't being progressed through the system as a life sentence prisoner would be. And then, of course, you hit the four-year point, you're expecting to be released, and, oh, no, well, you haven't proved you're safe for release. Well, how do I get out? Oh, we're here to help. Now go away. It's just a really extraordinary, toxic mess. You know, Hank, you're, you're so much better at talking about this in terms of some of the language you use to describe this in terms of torture and, you know, forms of kind of cruelty. It seems to me that this uphill battle, this almost inevitable fight, is not fair. And that lack of fairness about the situation leads to the, the contested idea that perhaps this is intended by the system and at that point I start to think that this is psychological torture because there is an intention to allow these people to have to live in this situation. Torture, it's a strong word that comes up again and again when describing a situation that people serving an IPP are trapped into. Family members, prisoners, campaigners and even politicians have all used the word when talking about the IPP sentence. When you perceive stress, you don't actually have to be stressed, but you perceive stress. It activates part of the brain, which we call the limbic system, that's the emotional part of the brain. To try and understand more about the effect that prolonged exposure to extreme stress has upon the body and mind, Hank and I travelled to Bristol to speak with Stafford Lightman, a professor of medicine who examines how the brain responds to stress. 
So cortisol is stress hormone and it has multiple effects on your body. It increases your blood sugar, puts up your blood pressure. Uh, it has effects on the brain, so it, it, it affects your cognitive state so that you can respond very quickly because you're, you're, you're under stress. Uh, but also it, it has effects on the plasticity of the brain, the way the brain circuits work, which in the short term uh, are good for you uh, to get away from a lion that's charging at you or whatever it may be, but in the long term uh, is going to be maladaptive and is going to be bad for you and will make it more likely that you would get things like depression and anxiety. In a coercive environment like prison, can you see that perhaps the inherent problems that are occurring in physiological terms might be beyond the control of someone who's in that situation? Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, in biological terms, we sometimes call this learned helplessness. Uh, when you're in a situation that you realise there's absolutely nothing that you can do that's going to improve the situation, that makes the situation much worse. Most of us cope with day-to-day -day problems by finding a way of solving them. But if you've accepted that there's absolutely nothing you can do that is going to solve that problem, you become helpless. And in that helplessness situation, then that is going to be a major contributor to mental problems. Does, like, indefinite learned help helplessness, would that have an effect on life expectancy? Oh yes, definitely, because it increases your cardiovascular risk, so risk of heart attacks, uh, risk of strokes, uh, you know, risks of all sorts of things, and risks of uh, suicide, of course. D does it surprise you to learn that some people are 10 years beyond their tariff and have been transferred to psychiatric hospitals rather than the prison because they are no longer uh, able to cope with the prison environment. Does that surprise you? That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, if you wanted to create mental instability in somebody, this would just be the perfect way to do it. Theoretically, uh, it seems to be a perfect mixture for things going wrong. So, I mean, you are creating mental problems by, by what you're doing. Absolutely. Would you consider it psychological torture? Well, I'm not a psychiatrist, but, but uh, as an interested observer, yes, I would. This IPP sentence is devastating, not just for those people handed the IPP sentence. It's far deeper and much wider reaching because it affects the family and the friends. You're talking thousands and thousands of people being affected by this sentence. We've seen a lot of suffering amongst the families. Perhaps you could talk about whether or not the sort of situations in which you can see why this vicarious trauma is so bad. It makes absolute sense to me that if you're a close relative or friend of somebody in this situation, the anxieties and worries for them would be literally caught by by that individual as well, and their anxieties would increase their risks of mental health and multiple other diseases as well. So yeah, I would imagine that uh, you would create problems for the whole family. Thank you so much for talking to us today. I mean, it's really, uh, I mean, it's insightful and it leads us down different paths that I think we hadn't interrogated before. Well, thank you. I mean, you've, you've illustrated an aspect of life I knew absolutely nothing about and I find it absolutely terrifying. So what's that mean? on and on and on. And on, and on, and on, and on. The effect of psychological torture is to 
create a very significant set of problems in your brain, some of which could be likened to brain damage. Frontal lobe atrophy is a symptom of long-term overexposure to the sort of stress hormones that are produced in the situation that you might find yourself in prison. It's a cyclical process, it's a spiral, it's a vicious circle, you can call it all these things, but it's almost as if the system has created the tool that creates the problem. And that's, again, extraordinarily unfair. People who end up in prison or in the justice system have often done appalling things. Sometimes they haven't. But we kind of, part of what makes us human is taking the trouble to think about those kinds of things and think about what, it's, what we are doing to our fellow humans when we imprison them. And I think that's particularly important when we're thinking about someone being sent to prison and they don't know when they're getting out and being subject to all sorts of bureaucratic processes where there is no obvious way out as well, which are dishonest and cruel and, you know, quite possibly tortuous. And it's a torturous, never-ending journey of stress, false hope and letdowns that Roddy and Robert are forced to endure. We keep having the same phrases used about, this, you know, staying on this country, and it, it just becomes, you know, words in the hot air in the end. In his summation of the Justice Select Committee's report in October 2022, which recommend resentencing, the chair, Sir Bob Neill, said they, IPP serving prisoners, are currently being failed in a system that has left them behind, with inadequate support for the specific challenge caused by the very way they have been convicted and sentenced. Roddy, it's the 5th of July, we're back in London, same building, different room. What's happening with Robert now? He's still on the same sort of trajectory with his mindset that only he can resolve this. And because he's tried to engage, he's no longer willing to engage with the parole process, the offender behaviour programmes and anything that the MOJ and the parole board is saying that he should be engaging with. Because he's done that, he did that um, shortly after his, on, on the run up to the end of his tariff and just after his tariff expired. It's not worked for him, so I can understand now why nearly 14 years later that he doesn't want to engage because what they're doing doesn't work. It's dysfunctional. So, for the moment, Robert's parole process is no further forward. Roddy as ever is doing everything he can think of to help his brother, but I wondered if there was ever a moment that he'd thought of just giving up and where he finds the energy to continue. So long as this IPP sentence is in place and not resolved, uh, I'll keep going. I can't, I can't stop. I'm driven by it. The miscarriage of justice that it is, is the fuel that I get to, to keep going. As long as I have 15 seconds recording time remaining, this message continues. If you want to get in touch, you can find me and the team on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or TikTok at trapped underscore pod. If you want to do something, you can tell a friend to listen to this series. Knowledge is power and the more who know, the harder it is for injustice to take place. If you want to do something more active, you can write to your MP and tell them to raise questions about IPP prisoners in Parliament. Some campaigners have started a petition hosted on the UK government website. Search the hashtag Justice for IPPs for more info and the link. 
Please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and stay tuned for a new episode dropping soon.